just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope all is going well with you. Hope you had a good day. I had kind of a fun day. My wife and I went out to the Minnesota Twins-Detroit Tigers baseball game at Target Field in downtown Minneapolis. I don't get out to too many games. Not a big baseball fan. It's a little too slow for me. My wife's a bigger baseball fan, and frankly, when she says we're going to the game, well, we're fucking going to the game. We both know who wears the pants in the family, and we both agree that it's her. (laughs) I do as I'm told. Nobody gets hurt. It's as simple as that. But my wife was uh, specifically interested in going to this game because it was a special night. It was a night they were commemorating the 40th year anniversary of the 1980 Miracle on Ice hockey team. Well, as you can tell, it's a year late because it was 80 and it should have been 2020, but because of COVID, they couldn't do it, so they did it tonight. And uh, as you know, uh, a number of the people on that team were from Minnesota. So this was kind of an interesting night for me, too, because, you see, I knew a number of the players on the Olympic hockey team in 1980. It started out with, I knew one, and and then I got to know a bunch of others. One of the hockey players on the 80 Olympic team is a guy by the name of Mike Ramsey. He's a defenseman, and uh, I grew up with him. We've been friends since we were in junior high school. We played on teams together and against one another, and I'm talking about football. I was never a hockey player. But we've always been good friends. He's a good guy. I still talk to him to this day. Not as frequently as you would think, but uh, every now and again we talk. He's busy. I'm busy. So so we don't get to see each other as much. But so this was of interest to me. And I know people like me to tell personal stories, maybe to get a better feel about who I am and some of the things I've done in my past. So I'll give you this information. Now, 1979, I'm a year out of high school, so is my friend Mike Ramsey. And I work for a radio station who does the play-by-play of the Minnesota Gopher hockey team. Now, on this team is uh, my friend Mike Ramsey. Another very close friend of mine and Mike's is also on the team. And uh, I'm doing the radio work for that season. Well, it was a fairly momentous season. Because in 1979, the Minnesota Gopher hockey team won the national championship. Championship was played in Detroit. I got to travel out there. I'm there with my buddies. They win the national championship. Fucking crazy night. It was so crazy, in fact. I'd give you some names on this, (laughs) but I'm not going to give the names out. But a couple of circumstances. I remember walking into one room. We were staying in the Renaissance Center in downtown Detroit. Beautiful place. Has a rotating bar. At least it did at the time. And me and my friends walk into one room and one of the stars of the Gopher team is sitting with another star of the Gopher team. Not my friends. People I know, but 
not Mike Ramsey or any of the people that I'm with. And I see that they're pretty liquored up after winning the national championship and not surprised at that at all. (laughs) But I hear them on the phone and they're talking to the front desk and they say, we want your best champagne up here. And I want you to charge it to Paul Giel. Now, if you don't know who Paul Giel was, he, he, he was the athletic director for the University of Minnesota. <laughs> so they were ordering all kinds of stuff. And there was all kinds of illicit behavior going on. There was one guy that was so drunk. Now, on this building, there are these glass elevators that go top to bottom. And nobody could find this guy until the next morning. And what happened is he passed out in one of these elevators, laying on the floor amongst his own vomit, and he had been riding up to the top and to the bottom all night long, passed out from excessive alcohol. That's the kind of night it was. It was so bad that there was a little destruction because of the people celebrating. And the next week when the hockey team got back together for a meeting or something, they all got bills. (laughs) (laughs) like $1,500 bills to repay the hotel for the damage that was done. It was a crazy night, and it was a night I'd never experienced before. It was a wonderful thing. So after that was all done, um, there were tryouts for the 1980 Olympic hockey team. Now, you got to understand, before that gold medal team, we really didn't give it much thought because the USA hockey team was always amateurs. They never did real well against the Russians or any of the other Eastern Bloc teams or even Canada, for that matter. So nobody expected much out of them. But my friend Mike Ramsey uh, comes over, and uh, he had tried out for the 1980 Olympic team. Comes over to my house. My brother and I are sitting in my room, and he'd come in, and he says, you never guess what fucking happened. I go, What? He goes, I made the 1980 Olympic team in Lake Placid. I go, oh, my God, that's fucking fucking great. (laughs) And all I could think to say to him was, um, you know what? When you're there, you may want to check out, uh, I think her name was Linda or Nancy Fradiani. She was a skater, and she was hot as hell, and she was our age. And he says, yeah, I know. I'm going to check that out, like any of us would ever talk to her. But... But anyway, we're talking about him now being on the Olympic team, knowing Herb Brooks was on the team, was the coach of the team. And Herb Brooks, of course, was the coach of the Gopher team with my friend Mike Ramsey and my other friends on the team. Okay? (laughs) Now, you've got to understand that most of these hockey players didn't really like Herb Brooks that much. He was kind of a dick, and he was extremely hard on him. Obviously, it was effective because they just won the national championship and they were going to win the gold medal, but they weren't big fans. So they weren't excited to get worked over by Herb Brooks again. But nonetheless, he's excited about being on the Olympic team. So I say to him, I said, I said, Rammer, because that's what we called him. I said, Rammer, do you think you have a chance against the Russians? And he looks at me kind of weird, and he goes, oh, fuck, no, we can't beat the Russians. Those guys are unbeatable. But look, it'll be fun going to the Olympics. I said, no doubt. No doubt. Congratulations. So as we get closer to the Olympic Games, I take a job in Arizona in the middle of fucking nowhere in northern Arizona. 
I'm nowhere near Minnesota. I'm only talking occasionally to Ramsey uh, with letters and maybe a phone call here and there just to see how it's going. So he's in the midst, and now he's going to the uh, Olympic Games. He's going to play and ultimately win the gold medal. And, of course, I'm sitting in the middle of nowhere fucking Arizona, not liking that at all. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. I'm in northern Arizona. They don't know shit about hockey. There isn't a hockey team in Phoenix as yet. And so my friend and his team, the Olympic team, win the gold medal. It's literally the biggest story in the country, maybe the world. Biggest story. And uh, I get a call from my friend Mike Ramsey afterwards. I congratulate him. I say, hey, Ramery. You know, if I can set this up, would you do an interview with me on my radio station, on my show? He goes, yeah, that's no problem. No biggie. <laughs> so I go to my boss. I go to my boss and I say, yeah, look, dude, my friend's on the 1980 Olympic team. And he said he'd do an interview with me on my show. Do you mind if I do that? <laughs> and honest to God, he looks at me, he goes, oh, I don't know. You know, those long-distance bills are pretty heavy. I said, are you serious? He goes, yeah, we can't spend that kind of money <laughs> on an interview about some hockey shit. I said, hockey shit, dude. This is the biggest story in the country. <laughs> and uh, I didn't do the interview. I talked to him later, and it was fine. I, I, I could have paid for the um long-distance call, but he wouldn't allow me to do that for some reason. He just didn't want me to do the interview. So he blew the biggest story of the 80s, <laughs> didn't let me do the interview, but I got a chance to talk to him. So my point of this is I had an interest in the 1980 Olympic team too, because I knew my friend Mike Ramsey, but through him, I also got to know Neil Broughton because he played for the Gophers. I got to know Rob McClanahan, Billy... Uh, uh, Billy Baker, you know, all those guys. And they were all great guys, and we always partied and we had fun. So I wanted to pass that along because that's one of the highlights of my life, having spent time with those guys, knowing those guys after having done something virtually impossible and changing everything. Because you remember, we had uh, the, uh, we, we, we had the hostages in Iran and people were getting kind of down on America. But the moment that happened, everybody came together. Everybody was proud. Everybody was excited about this country. And I long for the day we get that back somehow, some way in this country. We are further apart than we've ever been. We've never been this decisive. But on that day, and for days afterwards, we were as close as a country could be. And somehow that all slipped away. Now, the reason it slipped away is because political parties became divided. All of government became divisive. And it kept getting worse and worse every year until we got Donald Trump. And then it just went to shit. Republicans hate Democrats. Democrats hate Republicans. They won't do anything to work together, which makes it impossible for anybody to govern 
in this country. We are in a difficult situation. And uh, it's, it's a little scary. And one of the things that have happened recently that creates this divisiveness is something we had going today. Uh, senators in the U.S. Senate grilled military officials on the Afghanistan withdrawal. Now, sitting there for the military was Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and General Mark Milley of the Joint Chiefs. And they were getting barraged with all kinds of bullshit from the Republicans. And I found it, found it very interesting and, and, and appalling some of the things that were going on there. We heard uh, from Representative or Senator um, Dan Sullivan, a Republican from Alaska. And one of the things he brought up is one of the things a lot of them brought up is the outrage and uh, the anger of how Joe Biden pulled people out of Afghanistan. Now, any number of other presidents could have, should have pulled them out, but they didn't. Joe Biden did, and it was messy. But it was never going to be anything but messy. But it struck me as strange that these Republicans would be outraged about this withdrawal. But somehow, they looked at similar things differently. Like when Donald Trump pulled the troops out of Syria. And he just left the Kurds. They hung them out to dry, put them in a position to be jailed or killed, and nobody said a thing. There was no outrage from the Republicans. They supported everything Donald Trump did. And then when Trump lied about COVID, told us it was a hoax, and now we're closing in on 700,000 Americans dead. That has already beaten the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic considerably, and it's still growing on that number of deaths from COVID. But you know what? No one was outraged about that lie. In fact, all these Republican senators did everything they fucking could to support the lie. Somehow they thought it was right to tell people that COVID was a hoax, that it would just go away. But here we are, 18, 19 months later, it's still killing people. And these people still want to lie about it. But somehow, they're not outraged about that. Yet they're incredibly outraged about this pullout or this withdrawal in Afghanistan. Seems a little disingenuous, doesn't it? And then when Trump... uh, incited an insurrection, actually helped plan and incite an insurrection. There was nothing but support from Republican senators for those lies. They knew it was a lie, but somehow they didn't think that was a big deal. It wasn't important. It was just our country being attacked, trying to overturn our government, but they were fine with that. So when you're screaming and yelling about this Afghanistan withdrawal, but you don't get upset about blatant, flat-out lies, American lives being taken away by COVID, by the Kurds being rounded up, jailed, and killed, 
Nobody says a word. So to be perfectly honest with you, if you're going to whine and cry about the Afghanistan withdrawal and ignore all this other shit, I don't care what you fucking think. You're dismissed. You're not real. You have no integrity. It's absolutely ridiculous. Now, that wasn't the only thing that happened during the time this was going on. Now, they really went after General Mark Milley of the Joint Chiefs. Now, you remember that Nancy Pelosi called Mark Milley and said, this fucking Trump is crazy. You have to do something. And he tended to agree because he saw Donald Trump kind of unhinged. He was always blaming China for something. And now China was getting nervous that Donald Trump might do something crazy because he's fucking crazy. Maybe send a nuclear bomb over. So China is naturally nervous about it. So Mark Milley was in a position where he had to calm the Chinese down. Because you see, the problem would be if the Chinese get too nervous, two things could happen. They may want to uh, circumvent the United States doing something to them by doing it first. And if it was unnecessary, this is a whole big nuclear war we're in just because one fucking clown is unhinged. So Mark Milley had to do the right thing and make them feel comfortable. And they did feel comfortable and we didn't have a nuclear war. You'd think you'd be happy about that. But no, the Republicans now are suggesting that what Mark Milley did was uh, treasonous, was unacceptable, against the law. He should resign. They actually asked Mark Milley to resign a couple of times. (laughs) And we'll get to that in a moment. But here's the thing that we found out when Mark Milley responded to those accusations. He said, no, in fact... uh, Defense Director Esper and uh, Acting Director Miller, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, and Secretary of State Pompeo all knew about this. They all knew about it. So the idea that Mark Milley did the wrong thing or did it improperly is absolutely a joke. And all these people knew that he did it properly. But they left him out to dry. Hell, Mike Pompeo said, I never heard anything. It's horrible. He should resign. Mike Pompeo knew and actually talked to Mark Milley about this. And what's he do? He lies and makes Mark Milley look like he's a fool or he's a criminal or he's a treasonist. Mike Pompeo knew this. All of these people knew this. Nobody stepped up and said, hey, hey, hey. Millie did the right thing. Just leave him alone on this. No, they left him out to dry. And they went after him. All these people knew that. People in the Senate that are well-connected to Meadows, Pompeo, Miller, and Esper also knew it. But nobody said anything. They took advantage of the situation and tried to crucify Mark Millie. Now, that is the state of our government or our political parties now. Something they know isn't true, they will still push it to 
try to get back at the Democrats or this particular general. That's fucking childish, and that is not what this country is about. It's incredible to me that uh, these people would do this. At the very least, these people owe him some kind of apology, which he'll never get, of course. Now, one thing General Mark Milley did bring to light, and this tells me this guy is honest, because this kind of throws some mud in the face of Joe Biden. Milley apparently wanted to keep 2,500 American uh, troops in Afghanistan to help make this transition smoother. And he told Joe Biden this, according to Mark Milley. Now, Joe Biden said, well, he'd never heard anything like that. We were just going to do what we were going to do. And that might make Joe Biden look bad. But you got to understand, Joe Biden was under some pressure. They had a deadline. And if that deadline wasn't met, that meant the uh, Taliban would probably start fighting again. Now we'd have to pull people out while also fighting the Taliban. So, of course, Biden thought it was safer to do it when you're not fighting with somebody and trying to get people out. But he denied knowing anything that uh, Milley suggested, keeping 2,500 people there. So there's some kind of glitch there. Now, one of the senators said to uh, Mark Milley, General Mark Milley, well, you, you advised the president, and he didn't take your advice. Why didn't you resign? And Mark Milley looked at him and said, look, I'm a general. I advise the president. Presidents don't always take our advice. And the idea of me pouting and resigning because he didn't take my advice is absolutely not what I'm going to do. Just because somebody doesn't do what you want them to do, and he happens to be the president, you don't quit over that. You have respect. You're loyal to the president. Even if he makes the wrong choice in your mind, this is the military, and you take orders from your superiors. And that's what he did. And, of course, the guy asking the question looked stupid, but he didn't follow up. He didn't apologize. He didn't do anything at all. This is what we're dealing with with the Republicans. They will do anything to attack somebody, whether it's true or whether it's proper. And that shit has to change. This country cannot come together as long as people are just going after other people for unfounded crimes or inappropriate measures. You can't bring anybody together if it's constantly adversarial and constantly a fight and doing everything you can to take down the other person, whether it's legitimate or not. And more often than than not, it's the Republicans that are illegitimate in their tactics when it comes to fighting against Democrats or clearly our military, for that matter, too, because our military isn't supposed to have any partisan attitudes. They work for this country. They are taking orders from whoever's president, regardless if they're Democrat or Republican. Watching this today, I found very disturbing and upsetting 
because it tells me just how far we are away from actually bringing this country together again. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be back. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, I got a quick, funny story for you. There's a woman named Stephanie Grisham. She was the press secretary for Donald Trump for a short time while he was president. And she's come out with a book. (laughs) Who the hell hasn't come out with a book? There's going to be hundreds of books about all the crazy shit that Donald Trump did. And it's going to be entertaining, but also a little bit disturbing. But in this woman's book, there was one story that I found particularly funny. And I'll tell you that story. Now, you may remember at some point in his term, Donald Trump was whisked off to a hospital. I think John Hopkins or something like that. He was whisked off to a hospital, but nobody knew why. Our president of the United States is being rushed off to a hospital, and nobody said a thing. Nobody told us why. That's really strange. That's not the way you do things. So everybody thought, is he having problems with his heart? Uh, Is it uh, high blood pressure? What is it? I mean, he's got a horrible diet of nothing but McDonald's Happy Meals. (laughs) So who knows what could be wrong with this guy? And if there was something wrong with him, the country should know that because it could change a lot of things in short order if the worst should occur. Well, now in this book by Stephanie Grisham, she tells us what that was all about. <laughs> and it was all about Donald Trump rushing off to get a colonoscopy. <laughs> it's ironic, Diaper Donnie getting a colonoscopy. But he was very paranoid about this procedure. Not that he was scared to get the procedure. I don't know that for sure. But the reason he keep, kept it on the DL was because he didn't want to relinquish power to Mike Pence when he went under sedation, under anesthesia. He's so paranoid, he doesn't want to give away that power for two hours while he gets this simple procedure because he's afraid somebody's going to attack him. Now, I think by law, I think it's the 25th Amendment ties to this sort of thing, too, is that when a president goes under anesthesia, the power of the presidency for that short period of time on a temporary basis goes to the vice president. But Donald Trump didn't want that to happen because he's fucking paranoid. Now, there's another reason why he kept it on the down low. It's because he was afraid, given the procedure, that a lot of these nighttime talk shows and the Internet would make fun of him. (laughs) He would be the butt of their jokes, pun intended. And he didn't want to do that. That would hurt Donnie's feelings. So instead, he puts the country at risk by having no leader while he's under anesthesia. Fact is, that was probably the best two hours in his whole presidency when he was under anesthesia. But still, it isn't what you're supposed to do. 
But when I'm thinking about this, what I find particularly funny is imagining this doctor, probably a high-level doctor. He's treating the president of the United States. He's got to give Donald Trump, dirty diaper Donnie Trump, a colonoscopy. Can you imagine, first of all, having to get Donnie to disrobe, and then when he takes his diaper off, he realizes he's got this fucking mess that he's got to clean up before he can even do the procedure. I mean, what a disgusting position to put a doctor in. And I suggested that I hope he got paid up front because we know Donald Trump doesn't pay his bills. And can you imagine having to clean up after Donnie Trump, then do the procedure? Talk about, talk about adding insult to injury. <laughs> it, just, it just conjures a, a funny scene to me. Donnie Trump laying on his side with a dirty diaper and this doctor trying to do his best to do his fucking job. All right. Something less funny, but interesting nonetheless. We've been talking a lot about uh, this $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. I went through it before on the podcast and on TikTok. And there are a lot of things in this bill that will do a lot of good for this country for the first time in forever. We're not used to our government giving us a situation where it's going to help the middle class. Two years of community college free. Dropping our health care to 8.5% of our income. Adding to Medicare and dropping the eligibility age down to 60 from 65. Uh, Pre-K child care help. These people who have children that are struggling with the high cost of, of uh, child care. I know I went through it. It's expensive as shit. Now it would only be 7% of their income. This is a big help to a lot of people. Now, unfortunately, as much as this seems like a no-brainer, now granted, the Republicans are never going to agree to it. They're never going to pass it. That's why they want to do it on reconciliation. Because of the current status of the Senate, 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans, you could pass this with a simple majority of 51 votes if all Democrats voted for it. And then uh, Vice President, who's also the President of the Senate, Kamala Harris, she would then vote for it, break the tie, and the bill would pass. The problem is not so much the Republicans. The problem is two Democratic sen- senators, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. But I will tell you this, the pressure is finally starting to set in on these two idiots. This bill is highly popular and beneficial, highly beneficial to their respective states, Arizona and West Virginia. It's highly popular in their states. I mean, I'm talking like 75% of the people are pro-reconciliation bill because they know it's going to do them some good. These people in these states need this kind of help. 
So their constituents, their voters, are all for this bill. But somehow, some way, Mansion and Cinema are not feeling it. And it's probably largely to do with big money people putting money in their pockets to vote against things like this. And Mansion and Cinema really only concerned with themselves and not disappointing their benefactors and not giving a shit about the people that are their voters, the citizens of their respective states. Well, now, that's starting to be exposed. And the pressure is starting to mount in Arizona and West Virginia. This is going to put a lot of pressure on those two senators, Manchin and Cinema. Sure, they want to placate those big donors so they can keep getting their money. But if they piss off their constituents, well, they may not get voted in again and they won't get any fucking money. So the pressure is on. Now, Arizona has taken it a step further. Arizona Democrats have threatened a vote of no confidence against Kristen Cinema if she votes against the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. Now, I don't know how much pressure that puts on her, but it can't possibly be good if the entire Democratic Party that she's a part of says, we have no confidence that you can do this properly, it can't help. It would even make you wonder if they would endorse her the next time she runs for the Senate. And that puts her in a very difficult situation. Here's what you need to understand. As I've said before, We have the bipartisan bill. It's passed in the Senate. The bipartisan bill should be able to pass in the House, but the progressives on the Democratic side said, no, we're not going to vote for it until we get some commitment on the larger $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. So this is kind of loggerheads here. These people are pushing each other back and forth constantly, and it's a tight situation. But I will tell you where the advantage lies with the Democrats. You have Joe Biden, who has 40 years of experience in the Senate. You have Nancy Pelosi, God knows how many years she has in the House. These people are very smart. They're very politically savvy. They have immense political power. And they know how to use leverage. And they are going to leverage these people to the hilt. A lot of people don't think these two bills will get done. Personally, I think they will get done. They might be slightly different, but they are going to get done. And as I've said before, these two bills getting done are absolutely crucial. This is the first time in a long time that the people that supply most of the taxes, the middle class, finally get some help, finally gets some consideration after all the money we pay in taxes. So this is a crucial moment in time. And as I told you yesterday or the day before, it's all coming to a head this week. Now we're into Tuesday. We're thinking Thursday. Then you have the debt ceiling vote and all this stuff. There's a lot of things happening this week. And uh, we're going to find out a lot of things. It might get delayed a bit here or there. But essentially, 
it's all going to start cracking this week. And we can only hope that those two bills do get passed intact. And with Mansion and Cinema, the only stumbling blocks, they may be ready to get run over by a freight train. They want to keep the money in their pockets, but if their party, if their constituents don't like what they're doing, they aren't going to be in their jobs very long. Now, Somebody asked me, how can we get Manchin out of there in 2022? Well, you can't. He's got a six-year term. I think it's 2024 is when he would run for election again. But both Manchin and Cinema have big problems here. If they somehow stop a bill that would be a huge help to their states, they're going to have a lot of pissed off people. Yeah, they may disappoint their big benefactors, but if these people don't vote for them when they are up for election, they're fucking out of it anyway. So they're caught between a rock and a hard place, and they will have to bend. Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, they both know how to apply the pressure. So I think this will get done, and it will be big news and a big boon to this country if they get them done. So we'll see how this shakes out. It's unfortunate that the Democrats' biggest biggest uh, pushback is from people in their own friggin' party. But that's what these people do. They cover themselves and the citizens be damned. All right. We're going in the home stretch here. We're going to wrap things up. I wanted to tell you about something I'm going to be doing, hopefully, on Thursday. For years, for four and a half years since Donald Trump has been in office, I've been going back and forth with Trumplicants. I've gotten to the point on TikTok, I don't even deal with them. I don't debate them. I don't engage them. Because if you do that, then they get mad and then they report your videos or they try to take you down. And at that point, I'd rather just not deal with them and keep the account safe as opposed to getting angry and arguing with them. They just aren't worth the risk. But over the years, I've talked to a number of these idiots. And frankly, that's what they are. They are, in fact, idiots. And I've always said to them, I said, look, man. If you're so smart and want to prove how dumb I am, I'd be happy to do a debate with you. Oh, yeah, I can debate you. Yeah, I bet you can. But let's do it on Facebook Live or someplace where we're both in front of the camera. We're both speaking live so that uh, there's no mistake about what anybody said or who won or who lost or who made a point or who looked like a fool. Let's do it that way. And I've had literally 20 people say they'd be willing to do it, but they never show up. They always bail at the last minute. And some of the excuses would would be, well, you've been on radio all these years. Uh, You have an advantage. Well, no, dipshit. You just told me you were smarter than me. You know all the information. You have God on your side. Why would you be afraid to debate some idiot liberal like me? But they all refused. Well, just recently, I've been going back and forth with uh, one of these Trumplican fucks. 
and uh, he claims he's willing to do the debate. Now, I'm skeptical about this whole thing because the track record isn't good. I still don't know if he's going to show up, but at this moment, we're supposed to do this debate on Thursday. Thursday about, I don't know, 6 o'clock my time. So, I'm going to show up and see what he does. I've already talked to him a number of times, and it's absolutely ridiculous. He's still trying to tell me that there was no insurrection, there were no assaults by these insurrectionists, that it was just a bunch of tourists. Well, to be perfectly honest with you, if I do get a chance to talk to them, I'm looking forward to this because they're speaking on emotions. They're pulling shit out of their ass and they think they can debate with that. Well, I've done these debates before on other topics. I have worked in radio for 40 years, so talking is kind of my specialty. And I plan to take this some bitch apart. And if the debate goes down, I'm going to take the audio portion of it and run it here on the podcast so you can hear how it went. Even if it seems like I did badly, I'm going to run it. But you know what? There's no way I'm going to look bad. Because <laughs> this is some dumb fucking redneck that has trouble putting together sentences. And I will run circles around him. Not because I'm a genius, but because I have average intelligence. And this guy is way below average intelligence. Plus, I know the secret in dealing with these people. First of all, I'm going to set some ground rules. This debate will only be a half hour. We could go for hours and hours and hours on this shit, never get anything accomplished, and bore the piss out of people. So we're going to limit it to a half an hour. And instead of arguing the way Trumplicans like to argue, I'm going to insist that here's how it goes. I'll ask a question, you ask a question. Whoever asks a question allows the other to answer without any interruption. If that person seems to go on and on forever on an answer, then I'll stop them. Nope, you can't go that long. And that means me too. But I'm going into this knowing that I'm better off doing a very concise, direct answer to these things. That will give them the most trouble. But there is a way to deal with people like these. These dumb, narcissistic sociopathic people. I've had a lot of experience with this, not only with my father growing up, because he was one of those, but some family members I've had occasion to deal with. (laughs) The guy tells me, he says, let's not do this with any emotion and get it crazy. I go, who are you telling, pal? I don't go into any conversation like this with any emotion. My goal is to beat you with facts and information. I don't have to get emotional about it because I know I'm right. Now, as much as he doesn't want the emotion to come into play, I guarantee you it will. He will rant, scream, say stupid shit. And I'm going to tell him, I said, look, if you start ranting, talking about conspiracy theories, we're cutting it off. You're not going to get time to blow out bullshit just to try to make your point. And if you try to talk louder, 
and longer, which is the common strategy with Trumplicans, you're going to have a problem. Because of my experience, I can talk louder than you can, and I can talk longer than you can. So now you're going to get in a situation where you're going to try to bowl somebody over, but you won't be able to do it this time. And if you continue to do that, we're stopping it. It's done. The only way to deal with these people, and this is for those folks out there that are listening that have occasion to have to deal with Trumplicans, the only way to deal with them is to remain calm. They thrive on getting the emotions in this getting yelling and screaming going. That's the only way they can win. So you do the opposite. You stay calm. Stick to the facts. You show no emotion on this. And I don't have a problem not showing emotions. I'm used to doing that in my time in radio. But I also know it is their Achilles heel. If you show no emotion and you stay calm, they want to scream. But if you won't fight their fight, they're fucking lost. Because they know if they keep ranting and raving, they start to look stupid. As long as I join in with them, then we both look stupid and he can just create chaos. But if I stay calm, no emotion, and just spew facts, he's going to look stupid. And that's the last thing these people want to look, is stupid. The best thing you can do, and I've only seen a couple of media people do this, State the facts, keep pounding on the facts, don't take bullshit for an answer, and keep pounding the facts. This confuses them, this upsets them, and they may lose their shit, or they may just run away. So the point here is, I'm supposed to do this debate. And I'm excited about it because I haven't gotten one Trumplican willing to do it. Now, this guy hasn't showed up yet, so I don't know. But on Thursday at 6 o'clock my time, I will know. And when I know and then he shows up, he doesn't know what he's in for because he believes he's smarter than me. And again, it's not that I'm any genius, but he's well below average intelligence. And I talked about this stuff a long time. I've learned a lot by doing the TikToks and the podcast. I know facts and figures, and I know he doesn't. So it will be very interesting. And if I can actually get this debate done, I'll take the audio recording and run it on this podcast because I'm sure you'll find it entertaining. One of the things I found out about doing these things is there are a lot of people out there that think like me or think like us, but don't feel comfortable talking about it. Don't feel comfortable about going on social media or even engaging with one of these idiots. So they kind of fight their fight vicariously through me. And I'm happy to do it if if that is helpful to them. Somebody's got to confront these people. Somebody's got to put them in their place. Because I have that one trait that makes it possible for me to do this with these people. And that trait is what I've told you before. I don't give a shit how I look doing it, or what they think of me. I don't care. All I care about is getting out the facts and pounding these people into submission. And I'm not talking about literally. I'm talking about just confusing them. Now, if this guy starts ranting and raving, I'm going to change my tactic. 
I'm going to get get a little louder, still no emotions, but I'm going to spend the entire time making them look foolish because I know that's the one thing that hurts them the most. I don't know if this debate will be a shit show or if it will be interesting or valuable, but it's going to be fun trying. And if it's worth listening to, I'm going to give you the opportunity to listen to it, regardless of how it all turns out. (laughs) But if you're betting on this, don't bet against me, because I can't lose this, because I'm going to take control of the conversation. And that is the final key to debating with anybody. You take control by being assertive and running the show, whether or not they like it. They're uncomfortable in front of a microphone, in front of a camera. I am not. So it won't be hard to take control. And once I have control, these people will have to dance any way I tell them to dance. (laughs) Again, I'm not trying to be arrogant here. I'm just so confident that I could take any Trumplican and take them apart. I've seen them all. I've heard them all. None of them know what they're talking about. None of them have facts. So this is going to be interesting. If he doesn't show, I'll let you know here. If he does show and it's worth listening to, I'll play it for you. All right, we're running long again. You know, I always come in here thinking, I'll just do a short one. Never happens that way. Every time I want to do a short one, it always goes longer than I expect it to go. But what the hell? (laughs) We'll be back again very soon, and I'll keep you updated on the prospective debate. You have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.